This episode is brought to you by the content creators at Live City Media. They've been filming and editing since 2013 and know exactly what it takes to make your brand's online presence pop. Head over to livecity.media to connect with the team today. again hey buddy how are you i'm good i just came back from a trip in the mountains no internet really no no phone no computer no work emails it was great <laughs> you made a terrence malick of yourself basically yeah basically exiled filmmaker it just retreated, <laughs> no it, it retreated into the wilds it was it was good saw some white terror deal like it, it was good just to get out of the city especially after the pandemic i hadn't left the city in like three years how about you how's good Ah, good. Business as usual. Um, partying a little bit more, so that's that's a good thing. So we was real happy to get out, get into the city for the last couple of weekends, um, doing some some uh, sport bicycle or just cycling, basically. That's what they call it. <laughs> so uh, all good, man. All good. Um, but first, I think we have a partner to thank today. We do. I'll let you do the honors. Yeah, so you've probably seen on our socials, we had a video trailer that came out to help promote the, the show. It was done by Live City Media. So they're the ones who are going to be co-partnering this particular episode. And then they're going to be, you're going to be hearing a lot about them on the, the show going forward because they really helped us out with that. The, the final product was amazing. Uh, so they've been filming and editing since 2013 and they know exactly what it takes to make like the brand presence online like really really pop and we think the video that they shot for us really like accentuates that so if you want to learn more about them and get in touch with them you can go to livecity.media to connect with brandon and john that's the little these guys are awesome super friendly super helpful and just big lifesavers great guys so we're going to just put that out there and once again like thank you guys the Thank video you. Was Brandon beautiful. Yes. We also have a guest today, and his, oh, his yes. beard is majestic. I'm just putting that out there. You can't see it, <laughs> but as a fellow like bearded man, I'm there like, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, at no, this. for sure. I feel uh, I I don't feel as manly as you guys because I have a little beard that uh, I don't know, just like a <laughs> a corporate finance kind of beard that looks nice for clients, but you. Have the manly beard, the yeah, real one. Yeah, we got the um, I'm so beard. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so we got your hair. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't so get we, that. I'm getting the so hell yeah. out. <laughs> so, yeah, introduce yourself. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead, Alan. Nice to meet you, brother. So I am friendly neighborhood master Alan. Most people will recognize me from TikTok. I'm not really well known anywhere else outside of my little martial arts school here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but I am also the face of Level Up Sabres. Um, in addition to being the face, I am the marketing director of the customer service department, logistics, and basically everything else involved in people ordering Sabres, my packaging the Sabres, and then getting them shipped out to those people because that's, that's what happens when your side hustle goes viral by accident. And 
you have a hundred thousand followers on TikTok, and I mean, damn. And <laughs> damn. for those who like are just tuning in, and because we don't have the video footage, when you say sabers, you mean lightsabers, right? I mean lightsaber, oh, yeah. and I mean specifically. Um, I started only carrying like dueling, you know, impact capable sabers because I in my martial arts school I teach a saber class, and I had a lot of problems finding. Uh, a source, a manufacturer that made a saber that kind of met the criteria that I wanted for people to use in my class. Um, there are a lot of companies that have like a bigger gauge handle, kind of like the old mag lights, that especially for teens and women, it's really cumbersome. It was hard for them to comfortably use to then be able to work on the material. And since most of my students are teenagers, and then I've got some adults and actually um, a pretty high population of women, um, I, I needed something that was going to be more comfortable in people's hands, um, hit a price point that was going to work, and like rechargeable battery, color change, and mute were like my highest tier like things when I was looking for a manufacturer. And COVID gave me the opportunity to find a manufacturer that I'm really happy with. Um, and then one December, I went viral for saying that my lightsaber was guaranteed better than a stick. And I have been running to catch up ever since. <laughs> Sometimes you just put things out on the internet and it's, it just happens. Yeah. yeah. I would rather be lucky than good. I will take it. Um, it means that I am recognized as a Star Wars person. So I get invited to do podcasts like this, which is like my inner nine-year-old is. Yeah, you're like squealing like on the inside. i excited about this for a week. <laughs> I've been pretty excited. I'm wearing my Mando shirt right now. Like nice I've choice. been like. I'm ready to talk about Star Wars today because <laughs> I, I, I like me some Star Wars. <laughs> Kenobi was so good. And we're going to be talking a lot so about Obi-Wan Kenobi today. Yeah, we'll dedicate the entire episode to it. We'll do a master review of the six episodes of season one of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, mm-hmm. But first, I actually have a quick foremost. question before oh, we get to the first and foremost. Ooh, ooh. I just want to know, as a saber enthusiast, what is your favorite saber? Yes, that's favorite question. character saber or favorite saber? Because I have different answers to those questions. Let's do both. Okay, so my favorite saber on the site is not it's it's not expensive, it's not flashy, it's not special. Um, it is the XP Boost, and it's like 140 bucks, and it does everything that I want a saber to do for my martial arts program. Um, anybody listening that has done kendo or something similar, it feels so much like a shinai. It is just like everything I've ever wanted from a saber. And most of the sabers for characters are terrible for dueling. Like they are terrible for doing martial arts combat. And so most of them, I just look at them and it's just like, I, I would be happier if it was a cheese grater with a blade coming out of it. I, I've it picked up the force effects sabers and they were just so clunky. And like the, the control boxes are like an integral part to many sabers and it's like part of the look and everybody sees the control box. It's like, oh, it looks so cool. And I'm just like, no, it's going to make your hand bleed. There's all this right angle metal. Um, the, the two for me, like the two character sabers that are like the most special in my heart place um, are Qui-Gon's because it's a, it's a really good like a really good dueling saber. It's like, it's got the length, it's comfortable in your hands, doesn't have a, an awkward clunky control box. If you get one of the ones, like the one available on levelupsabers.com, um, <laughs> it doesn't have the raised button 
um, because anything that has like the raised stuff, like those things, you either you either take them off before you start dueling, or they break off while you're dueling. <laughs> um, and so, like, I really like the Qui Gon one. Um, like all the ones that are iconic and everything else, it's really hard for me to separate emotionally from it would hurt to use that. And so, like <laughs> Kenobi's and the Luke thin neck, like they look so cool. But I can't suspend disbelief all the way to be like, yeah, I want to hold that and fight somebody with my life on the line. Um, but the one that I can is the Ray Skywalker from the very end of The Rise of Skywalker. Mm. The yellow one. Um, Where she takes the, yeah. the old and staff that she has. And, she... and it's, it's got that horizontal toggle yeah. to turn on, which is like, to, it was like, that was just such a cool feature because like most of the time the way that the sabers get activated is kind of mundane and it had such a special like it was just a really clear visual flick um that just it just made that one so unique um and so like of all the character sabers i've got on the site like the ones that are closest to my heart are the qui-gon and that ray skywalker one and I'm, i'm really glad that the ray on my site has that it uses the toggle to activate nice because that's one of the details to me that i think is like that's that was so important in my opinion fred same question what's your favorite character lightsaber i'm curious well it's it's funny because you brought up an interesting uh aspect with this like the, the actually comeback readiness of the saber if you really want to use it so that's why your your answer about the qui-gon one is actually really interesting because i do remember it pretty well it's pretty slick it's it's all black i think it's the handle is really well uh established and well made for your for for your sweaty hands so i'm like no that's actually a good saber for dueling um you know what in terms of the design of the handle i think i i do have a soft spot for the um, return of the jedi luke skywalker run one the, the the green one so i think it's one of the most iconic but i like i like how it's made i like the green color on the sable as well on the saber as well it's pretty pretty neat um but again if it's for dueling i guess i'll try to find something a little more i don't know simple <laughs> I, when it comes to dueling, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. When it comes to yeah, it can be the, not it only can be the dueling, one that you think is coolest, like that's viable. Yeah, like that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, when it comes to the I dueling and both like visual like pizzazz, if you will, I've always been a sucker for Dooku Saber. Yeah, the, like, the because he was fen- because he was a fencing pro. That's why because Christopher Lee, if I'm not mistaken, was actually a fencing champion. I think in his youth, right? So that's why he was able to maneuver the saber a little better when it was like yeah, he had right? like a bit of a finesse yeah. to his saber yeah, skills yeah. and i've always liked that curve film like it actually just makes a lot of sense especially if you're going to be doing those like flourishes that they like to do in the prequels and and the and the extensions because it's a more comfortable hand position when you've got that you know slightly bent handle yeah. and it, there's a there's some funny stuff about the choreography because he is the um, like he and Ray Park are the most martially trained people that have ever been in Star Wars movies, and so like Christopher Lee kept breaking the choreography by accident. Really? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he was I mean, old the, as well. I mean, he was wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but he was still well, like, but he was still, but he's still really good. And because like the base choreography is, they do a lot of four corner striking, which is basically just like the diagonals from high and low. So like most of the most of the saber fights you watch, it's sort of built out of those angles, and then they'll get to a lockup, they do a tight shot, and then they cut to more action and that kind of thing. But Christopher Lee was sword trained. You don't do a lot of that in sword because they don't work very well as strikes. So he was doing 
some of these things that make the strikes harder to defend and it kept like <laughs> it kept getting everybody screwed up which i mean to be fair once upon a time christopher lee was spending his summers killing nazis and so yeah. like there's some stuff that's just True. in the bones that <laughs> <laughs> that's it's probably cool. why I, I i really adore the revenge of the sith duel between dooku and anakin like everyone props up the kenobi anakin's duel but I think I actually prefer that Dooku, Anakin, and Kenobi duel the best because it feels way more grounded, much more believable, and there's a interesting lack of music in that duel. For for a prequel duel, it almost feels like a, an original yeah. trilogy duel at some points. Like there's a few flips, sure, but it is a far more grounded. And there's dialogue. There was something that was missing in a lot of the prequel lightsaber duels. It was just a lot of action, but that duel had that dialogue where he was like. I can sense your, your fear, your anger, but you don't use them. One yeah. Lee's stage presence too, like his gravitas is just it was a, it's a special thing, yeah. like special thing. Underappreciated character for sure, Dooku. Uh, I'll also throw in a little uh, a little high five for Mace Windu's lightsaber hilt for having the Pulp Fiction reference. <laughs> Really? There's a Pulp Fiction reference in the handle of Mace Windu's. I, I know. I so know per, the story why he actually has a purple lightsaber, but not, not yeah, the handle. So per the legend, he has "bad motherfucker" engraved onto the hilt. <laughs> and the the BMF is officially on the Level of Sabers website as of two days ago. There we go. <laughs> and it is the BMF, the baddest master forever. <laughs> <laughs> so just for that little like Pulp Fiction like wink, I'm like I have to, I have to acknowledge how cool that is as well. Well, it's got a lot of neat details too because there's leather and rubber and the different co- tones of metal and like and, I, and it's I purple have that one sitting next to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's just and it's purple. Like you saw that come out for the first time, I was like, "Are they allowed to do that?" Yeah, I like that color on the saber. To be honest, that's yeah. what that's the, the previous one I had. I always liked that color. So. Well, as someone who really likes Kodar with the Revan having the the red and the purple one in each hand, I'm there like, "Woo!" <laughs> so I've always been partial to that particular combination of uh, saber colors. Uh, yeah, before we start going into Kenobi, we have drinks in hand, as we often do on this show, called Film and Spirits. Fred? Yeah. What are you drinking? Um, well, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a nice I'm little I'm excited. I'm told this is a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, I don't know if you're going to be, like, super excited about my drink, but it's just a nice little coincidence that you're from t- Kentucky, and yeah, we're, you're recording from Kentucky. I have a Kentucky product, but it's it's something I always wanted to try, but for some reason never was able to find a bottle. But you, I'm sure, heard of peanut butter oh. whiskey. Right? Oh, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> See, I so, have not. I, I was it's curious. It's got a sheep on the logo. Yes, it's a sheep dog. It's sheep dog peanut butter whiskey yeah. from Kentucky. So it's more of a liqueur than a whiskey. I don't even think you can really taste it as a whiskey. But I was curious because I do like peanut butter a lot. I do enjoy the taste, so I'm just well. It's it's and I do think that some bourbons you have that peanut butter feeling from time to time on a few of them. Maybe some like strong rye whiskey, you get some. Oh, maybe that 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 tastes like a toast. There's a nuttiness, yeah. nuttiness, and like peanuts and peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter on your bread in, in the morning. So I was like, ah, oh, that it couldn't be too bad. So I have a bottle of Sheepdog. And it's it's sweet it's sweet as hell. I mean, it's it's not 
I thought it was like maybe a little more smoky, maybe some saltiness to it. No, it's maybe all sugar. It's sugary, very but much, it's, it's yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot like the um, like the honey whiskeys that were in vogue a little while before Fireball became popular, like when Jack Daniels was doing Jack the honey Daniels whiskey honey, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's similar to that where it's it's really syrupy. It's got that kind of mouthfeel. Um, it's not bad with coffee. I uh, guess so. Yeah, with coffee it should be good. I should try something like that with like a dessert with like I don't know whipped cream and yeah, it should be good. I think I'll try something like that. But yeah, it's a dessert dessert drink yeah. for sure. In, <laughs> well, incorporate it incorporate it with something with some bitterness and it doesn't like it doesn't fold. Like that's one of the things that it's like. It's a novelty sort of thing, right? Like peanut butter alcohol. Like you're just like, okay, you have my attention. Let's find out about this, whatever. Um, um, but it's like, but it, it's a like the the peanut sweetness is is enough that you can put it with some strong flavors and it doesn't disappear. Like you don't lose it. Like there are some things that you put in for sweetness and they just sort of vanish behind other flavors. And so like it works really good with like coffee or coffee cocktails where you mix a couple other things in with it. You know, like it'll sit well with Bailey's and some other stuff. Um, for anybody that doesn't know this, I managed a liquor store for a little while, so there's just oh. there's a there is a lot of booze knowledge that is just involuntarily in my brain. <laughs> just gets like embedded <laughs> into there. A man of many is, talents, he can know his liquor and he knows his yeah. sabers. That's good, man. <laughs> we were the we were the only state in the country where something outsold vodka. Like we were it, when I was managing the store. Every other state in the country, vodka outsold everything, and in our city, whiskey outsold vodka, and it was an anomaly. And so it makes it like it makes it so that corporate gets really confused when they're trying to like plan shelves and other things. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, uh-huh. what about this one over here? <laughs> well, yeah. Sean, what do you have? Well, I was actually gonna. I was actually just gonna ask Alan what uh, what he has. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, Alan. Yeah. What do you have? All right, and so this is this is fun. I didn't know I was going to get to shout something out. This can be kind of hard to find outside of Kentucky, but this is Cooper's Craft um, from the folks at Brown Foreman. So that's Woodford Reserve and Old Forester. They're two like well-known whiskey labels. Um, but so Brown Foreman is the only like the only everybody that makes bourbon. You have to age your bourbon in a freshly charred barrel. So the bourbon industry goes through a ton of barrels. And Brown Foreman is the only of the the whiskey producers that owns a cooperage. So they make their own barrels. They have their own like you know tradesmen that are they come in, they go through apprenticeship, all that kind of stuff. And so they made a bourbon for their cooperage, and they were like, "Man, this is really good." Mm. So then they released it, <laughs> um, and it's got it's got a toastiness that's kind of nice. It's a little um, like it's it's not like a rye bourbon. Um, and so if you're used to like especially old foe which has got like a really really strong flavor or woodford that is you know really pronounced it's a little bit lighter so if you like like canadian whiskeys or if bourbons are normally a little bit too sweet for you or other things like cooper's is a really nice kind of thing and it's a fun story because like this was a bourbon that was made for the guys that make the barrels that that other whiskey goes into and then after it's done being a bourbon barrel it becomes a scotch barrel or a wine barrel or whatever because like every year there's new empty ones that can't be used for bourbon again so there's a huge industry Um, that's actually pretty interesting Cooper's Craft I want to see if we can uh, either order a bottle or if we just have some here so we're going to be not sure we do man I'll I'll check but in ACQ's like it's our liquor store like run by by, by the government by the public Uh, it's yeah not sure but I'll I'll take a look we've got to see if we can order it for sure but yeah. yeah 
I have the Speyburn 10. So that is a Scotch whiskey, and I enjoyed this one. I picked it up uh, around Christmas time last year. It is a combination of it goes down quite smooth as soon as like it goes down smooth, but then you have that like burning sensation in your mouth at the same time. But it doesn't have any sort of like peat or wood chip flavor. It's it's a bit on the sweet side. You have like maybe like notes of cinnamon and honey, but you still have a bit of a kick to it. So I should like this one. Yeah, you probably you probably gonna like it. It's too peaty. I'm 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 off it. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like the kind of scotch that's up my alley. Yeah. So Spayburn Ten, it's it's pretty good, and for Canadian dollars, you're looking at around sixty bucks. So maybe fifty-ish American, if I had to guess, give or take ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty. All right. Well, in the in that in the spirit industry, there's some stuff that's more expensive down here. Because it's more expensive to get it here because of, like, and so even with, like, you know, currency exchange and other things, like, sometimes the number will be, you know, you guys will have a certain number that you're looking at, and I'll be looking at the same number, so, like, technically it's more expensive. Yeah. And that's just, it's like the nature of international, especially with spirits, is just so, so weird, and it changes so often. I find ours don't change that often here. Maybe because it's a bit more like regulated by the the government, but yeah, I, I find it changes yeah. like when there's like a price change. But for the most part, the prices are pretty fixed up here. Pretty f- fixed, stable. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's the the stuff that because you've got like the big buyer, right? If you think about it that way, because the government's running, and so because it's the big buyer, they're also going to be like the products that they're going to select. They're also going to be able to, like, because they're buying in such a high volume, like, they get to do that. Yeah. Whereas, like, down here, stuff that comes from across the ocean, like, there's more chance that it's going to fluctuate just because of that. Whereas, like, you know, all the Kentucky-produced stuff, like, the price is really stable here. Yeah. Whereas, like, in Japan, it may change really frequently for, you know, for whatever reason. Right. Because they drink, they drink a whole lot of bourbon in Japan. Interesting. <laughs> Hey, Sean, you know what? I think I'm going to name this episode like a deep dive into the spirits industry <laughs> and lightsabers <laughs> because it's gonna be this is a nice nice little lesson for, yeah. to be honest. I think you're our first guest who has like true good knowledge of the spirits industry. So it's really interesting to add this to the whole narrative. So thanks, man. That's great. Yeah, it's a nice uh, tie-in. It was unexpected. <laughs> all right. Now the meat of the subject. Um, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so I think it's been over for what three weeks now two weeks um two weeks, two weeks yeah. yeah two weeks we're, we're in yeah. the i think we're about to hit the third week i think today is week three since the last yeah today is the third week without an episode i think yeah or the second week without whatever yeah yeah it's so been a few alan, weeks yeah alan will will give you the honors to start with i guess your appreciation of the whole show so if you had to summarize the experience you have with obi-wan since since may 27th what, what do you have to say okay um, so anytime there is the story of the, the veteran warrior who has allowed tremendous amounts of rust to accumulate and they have to go through the pain and the process of shaking off that rust and rehoning the blade um, and rediscovering, like sort of forgiving themselves for the things they did as a warrior, good or bad or, you know. Um, war crimey or whatever um, 
I, I will I will sign up for those stories anytime because those stories always have the I am not as good as I once was, but I can be as good as I was once. It's a very that samurai. Is one of my like that is one of my favorite tropes. Um, I don't I don't care that it's a trope. I don't care that it's been done and done and done. I will never get sick of it. I will never get tired of it. Um, uh, but so like Kenobi's thread was amazing. I was not expecting Reva's thread at all, and I loved it. Um, uh, uh, I really appreciate how much it does to demonstrate to Anakin apologists that like you can't apologize for Anakin. You just you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really liked Owen and Baru. I loved some of what they got. Yeah. Because it was so, like, and yeah, that's, and and Carrie would have been so proud of her. Um, I just lost the actress's name. Uh, Vivian. Um, yeah, it's Vivian F something. Yeah. But oh, Carrie, amazing Carrie child actor. Been, yeah. Like, so proud of her. And the, and the actress, like, she was, she's 10. She's supposed to be ten. The actress is ten, and it would. I'm just, yeah. When Kenobi yeah, like I love is this. talking to her in the second episode, and she he just goes, uh, and I'm gonna be your father, and, and she just goes grandfather maybe. I was like, that is Carrie Fisher. <laughs> just the the snark in that reply was pure Fisher. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I got a good chuckle out of that particular line. It was the one that like sticks out perhaps the most. That and the uh, the lower life forms in the, the first episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a whole lot of a lot of show to digest for six episodes. There were there was just a lot to unravel. I feel like there was like a roller coaster of things that I was like, oh my god, about and some things that. I, I, there's nothing in the show that I disliked, but there were things in the show that I was like, I would have perhaps either altered or changed. One of the things that is it's an interesting to look at, especially with the benefit of hindsight, is the character of Riva, in that I think it would have been better if she had her own show, if she was like the lead in her own show. I'm hoping they're setting her up to get an atonement arc like Zuko from Last Airbender. Because one of the things we have not had a Sith character do yet, we've had we've had a whole bunch of Sith characters decide right before they die that they don't want to be evil anymore, and so then they get like the redemptive moment. But we've never had a Sith have to come back, and I and if Reva got to do that, I think that would be so cool. I will, I, I will consume that show. It definitely seems like they were they setting it. her up for something, either a show or a movie, even like maybe a book or a comic, but it definitely seems like they set the stage for that yeah. story through it to continue. Uh, considering it was six episodes, like I was very invested in her, her arc, and but sometimes I thought I was like, no, 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 go back to Kenobi. And considering it was only six episodes, <laughs> that's why I'm more like, I feel like she should have had her own show where she mm. was like a double agent for against Vader. And she would have been like the protagonist of her own show because sometimes it'd be like, no, 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 go back to the Kenobi centric scenes. And uh, when we got that Anakin flashback sequence, I was like, oh, but I, but I want more of that. And I, I kind of wished that each episode was framed around a flashback because that one flashback was way better than the, any of the flashbacks in the Book of Boba Fett. And there was only 
one scene if yeah. you think about it where they were well like the book of boba fett was a was sort of a it was a bridge to mando season three like it was it yeah. was book of boba fett but it was it, mando 2.5 in a way yeah and but i mean like it was it sets up it sets up the possibility of future fett stories which would be cool like i'm all for tamura like continuing to work as all of the various things he can be like i'm on board for that that sounds good just, um, just give me a rex live action show like now <laughs> I'm in for that too yeah. like you know like that's Cody sure I'm in um, Fox I'm in yeah, Wolf Gregor <laughs> like I'm there for all of it yeah yeah um, I, I would love I would love a wolf centered show just so that we get like flashbacks to Plo Koon because he is aside from Yoda he's probably my favorite Jedi yeah no, um, he's up there for like, me as well Daddy Plo is just he's just Daddy so Plo. awesome <laughs> nice. That's the first time I've heard Daddy Plo, I think, ever. Daddy Plo, nice, man. That's pretty ages. I, I mean, like, it's, well, but, like, that's, that was his relationship with the clones. Like, he was, like, you know, you are my children yeah. now. We are, we are a squad. Come on now, you know, young ones. Yeah, like, you know, we're family. You guys are brothers, and I'm dad. And that is how this is going to be. And, like, uh, uh, but, yeah, and, like, because they didn't I think they didn't set up expectations on the Book of Boba Fett show as effectively as they could and since they haven't announced what's gonna happen in terms of another Boba Fett show or whatever made it really hard to deliver on expectations because everybody just kind of filled in what they wanted from it um, rather than rather than being able to go okay this is where this is going I'm in um, uh, whereas like with the Kenobi show like they keep talking about doing a second season but it's like why <laughs> there is a I mean, they could but it's it's just they were so lucky enough to break canon with everything they showed up and some things maybe were close to breaking canon but it, it, it's it's not there yet but yeah I, i'm i'm glad if they just keep it just one season and that's it but especially yeah, since I there is the a lot lie. i mean oh, yeah. kenobi had a lot of people viewing so yeah. but there's a lot of uh kenobi content in the the comics and the books and it's like at the very end of uh, the Kenobi show, like the when he ventures into the desert, he's wearing the the comic book garb. So I wonder if there's sort of like, hey, like visual cues to those who know and those who maybe don't know, and then maybe they'll walk by a comic shop one day and they'll they'll be like, hey, I, I recognize that suit. So I think the door is open for continued stories, but kind of like Reva, we don't know which medium those stories might get told yeah. in. And- and the more they try to do, the harder it's going to be to not interfere with the established continuity, which, you know, like they've had they've had like one or two things that were like, OK, so we changed this that had previously been established, you know, whatever, like the uh, uh, when Kanan Jarrow's Caleb, when his master is dies like it's on a different planet yeah. that's like one of the that's one of the first ones people bring up. But like because it's different from the, the comics. EU, yeah. yeah. Especially compared to like the EU days, like the continuity is so much cleaner. Yeah, because back in and, the EU, like you the had they... um, like ranks of canon. That'd be the best way to describe it. You had like the movie canon, then you had like the TV canon, and the TV was canon as long as it didn't contradict the movies. And then you have like the book canon, and the book canon was canon, but as long as it didn't contradict the TV, which as long as it didn't contradict the movie, like there were there were which tiers is, like, of canon. Having, having having tiered canon is code for. The thing that you're enjoying isn't actually canon. Yeah. We're calling it canon so you can pretend. But it's but it's, it's, it's like, expensive fanfic. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mainly the books uh, had that treatment, but now everything is more or less on the like everything on paper is the same uh, canon line, which I can only same time I can only imagine so, the, like, the yeah. stress of that. Like you're you're a writer and you're like I I want to in- include this, and they're like well. You can't do that because this character was on that ship, which was in that quadrant at that time, and you're almost writing yourself into like a box unless you start shifting the timeline around. Well, that's the nice part about like the High Republic coming out, and also like all the the characters they're focusing on, because like Mando is a new character, Reva is a new character, Ahsoka is relatively unexplored during this timeline. So there's just there's a whole bunch of people that is just like they're alive and they're doing something. Yeah. So, so what? we can tell these stories without having to worry about, um, and then and then they're not reliant on actors that are, you know, forty years older than they were when they did the role, and having to, you know, like doing digital Luke's and things like that. Like yeah, which still worked pretty nicely in Book of Boba Fett. I mean, Mandalorian oh, yeah. season two was something else, but this worked pretty well. I, I, I guess it was it was nice. Look, it looked nice. Uh, in the it, it, yeah. yeah like the the animation was good and other stuff it's just it's like the more you have to do that like that's that's where you're like really in a box where it's like the only way to bring in a character is to have to do that kind of thing and faking and, and stuff yeah, 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 totally. it shows that the the idea of recasting like they did with Solo to get Alan Unreich I don't think anything like that is going to be happening anytime soon now that they, especially now that they have this deep fake technology and if yeah. Actors like Mark Hamill are willing to lend their likeness to be on set in order to continue bringing the character to life. I think uh, that boat will keep sailing for the, the foreseeable future. And even like with the deep big day, good or ill. yeah. Well, they they were able to tinker with uh, Angel Jones's voice in uh, in the Obi Wan Kenobi show because he sounded the voice was way better. He sounded, than Rogue yeah, exactly. Yeah. He sounded way crisper than yeah. he did in Rogue One. Well, they used, there's, there was, it wasn't, like, there wasn't a whole lot of it that was Jones. Like, it was, like, functionally all, all digitally done. Yeah, like, um, he provided, like, and a, a base, and then they basically just, like, tweaked it up, yeah. essentially, using similar technology to deepfake. You know, because, like, he's... He's, what, 91? Yeah, like, I mean, he's... I, I, I hope he's with us for a long time, but I also realize that, like, Father Time and Mother Nature are undefeated, and he's... Like, <laughs> he's in the 10th round <laughs> but yeah. it was still really great to have Jim Joel Jones back as a Darth Vader but there were certain parts particularly in episode 3 if I'm not mistaken where the way that Jones was delivering his lines as Vader I can almost hear Hayden as Anakin in sort of like the enunciation and like the, the, the verbal delivery which mm-hmm. was a really cool extremely yeah. subtle detail because I was like I could almost hear Anakin as Vader as opposed to like I am Darth Vader complete well that's a fun segue to the last fight yeah exactly right? where not only do you have like the layered voice but you have like the the half mask reveal which is a nice but, little but I think to it, too. they did to, to, to come back to Kenobi as a show overall and I'm, I really like uh, Alan's optimism and that he really really liked it because I think I kind of did as well but I think that Vader was really well done yeah. overall, like in all the characters and everything they took by. I think that Vader was pretty much spot on in the Disney era, from allowing Rava to survive or like too much 
but I think that the voice, his attitude overall as a younger Vader, like closer to an angry Anakin to a, a seasoned Vader that we get in Episode 4 and Episode 5, was pretty well done. And like, as you said, Sean, I think in, mostly in Episode 3 and maybe Episode 5, when he's really angry and he's looking for Obi-Wan, you can really feel that he has struggle controlling his emotion when he's talking. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Okay, so we have a younger Vader who's not in full capacity of his power, full capacity of his emotions. He's impulsive. He wants to kill everybody. He's angry. He's So I guess because we have Vader in episode four that's more controlled, more cool. So I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I like that. I think they really nailed the character for this. So, yeah. Well, Kenobi is the center of Vader's insecurity. Yeah. And we can feel that here, yeah. And that, and like, and because if we look at Anakin, so like my the way that I generally describe Anakin, I don't know how many times I've done this piece of content for TikTok and other stuff, but Anakin is an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And so literature and real life and sports and politics, there's there's dozens of those sorts of people. And we either love them or we hate them, depending on what sort of greatness they end up achieving and pursuing, but like egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And so like Kenobi and Anakin's jealousy of Kenobi the the desire to like want to be better like we see in the flashback duel that we were talking about um the desire to be approved of by Kenobi and at the same time the resentment of that like all of that stuff like that is that is a core of Anakin and his inability to let that go is part of why he became Vader because that, like, the the fear that's at the core of that, um, and not to tie in another show, but, like, Homelander in season three of um, The Boys has this conversation with himself in the mirror. And it's this, it's the same thing. It's the egomaniac with an inferiority complex and, like, having to face that, like, that, that hole that he's trying to fill with external validation from specific sources that no matter how much they throw in, the hole doesn't fill because... He's got to fix it on his own. Somebody can't shove something in there. He's got to stitch it up. But that would mean having to let go of all this other stuff that he's not ready to let go. And so then yeah. remains. And we have some of this, I think, in episode six of maybe the best scene of the whole season. And I'm, I know you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> so the mask scene, because basically we have that delivery saying that we, we see Anakin's face when Obi-Wan hits him uh, on the head. And he's just... And you have like that blue lights on his face when he's talking first when he says like Anakin's gone like I'm what remains I'm like okay so basically you're telling us that you you're still Anakin there and when the the the, the, the red light comes on Vader comes back and he's more in, he becomes more angry so say what to refer to what you're saying Alan is that he always thought that Anakin was too weak so he doesn't like to be Anakin anymore because he was always failing as Anakin but he thinks that he's succeeding as Vader, as a more imposing and dark character, so he, that's why he's telling us, "I killed him." Like that's not you killed him. I did because Anakin is weak, and I was I was struggling as Anakin. I could never succeed as Anakin. I lost everything as Anakin. But now as people Vader, I'm powerful. Like yeah, exactly. People fear Vader. People people didn't think Anakin was a master. Vader is undisputedly in charge when he enters the room. Like all that kind of. And then at the same time, like Anakin returns whenever he talks to Palpatine, like that same like 
it's very yeah. submissive very like yes master yeah. like i'll do whatever you say there's an interesting um visual cue to anakin and vader's relationship in the show in episode five where the flashbacks uh anakin during the prequel era is framed on the right hand side of the screen and kenobi is framed on the left hand side of the screen but then when you get into the duel with reva uh, Vader is actually on the left-hand side of the screen showing the transition per the lessons learned in the duel. And I, I just love, if, if you understand, like, visual language, you're just like, ah, that, that, these little things work really well. And then if... Positioning for the fight yeah, and, and, and sight lines and all that kind of stuff. If yeah. you have seen Star Wars Rebels as well, and clearly not as many people have seen Rebels compared yeah. to Kenobi... But in that sequence, in season two, Twilight of the Apprentice, uh, Ahsoka has a duel with Vader as well. And she also clips it's the other side, the of, his other side of the mask, which means that Luke is the only person to fully unmask Darth Vader. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just... no, sure it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I, it's, it's a nice little reference. I get that yeah, for sure. Yeah, so each one of them get but... a half of Anakin. They're never fully able to like reach to him because they're using more like aggressive lifesaver fights but Luke is the one who Cuz he doesn't want Luke to. Luke doesn't yeah. want to. Yeah. He's you can't you, you can't you can't save somebody from themselves. You can you can let someone decide that they want to change. Exactly. And Luke right? And so he's able like, to do that. It's like he And and so like Vader decides to change for Luke, but it's I mean like we can say it's for Luke. We can say it's like there's a there's a lot of things you can kind of point to and it's like, well, Anakin still being kind of a prick but whatever um but um but like both kenobi and ahsoka try to connect with anakin but anakin doesn't want to come back at that point Mm -hmm. you know it's not for another you know 10 15 years and god knows how many bodies that vader has wandered through that all of a sudden anakin's like you know what i don't like none of none of this is is bringing me happiness like this is all of the shame all of this guilt like this is making me more miserable i have to do something about this and then is able to decide to be a less terrible person on his deathbed which i think is an important lesson on on the topic of all those bodies uh obi-wan decides to spare darth vader at the end of episode six does that mean that obi-wan is now responsible in some way shape or form for all the death going forward. Uh, that's the, a one way of looking at it. Yeah, I guess, this is the Batman and Joker makes, argument. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess it still makes sense that I, I wasn't shocked to see that. Well, I mean, for sure we know that both live. Of course, we don't have a saga otherwise. But I mean, it's still the way they framed this. It still makes sense that he decided not to kill him because he's he lo- he loves him. He still sees him under his mask. He's like he's not capable of doing it and that's even why he still wasn't able to kill him in episode four and he decided to let sacrifice himself so i guess obi-wan in any universe in any form i think could not kill vader not because he's not strong enough because he doesn't he doesn't want to i think he's just he feels bad he feels partly responsible so Except the first thing yes yeah we can pin everything on obi-wan because he didn't kill vader but yeah i guess yeah. I'm, I will never, I will never stand any attempt to remove blame from Anakin's hands. Uh, <laughs> I will never, I will never, I will never support any of those. Um, but, um, but, like, but Anakin is Kenobi's only attachment. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's his. Uh... Like that's his. That's his only one. Because like in in Mustafar, he could leave Anakin to die, but he couldn't double tap. He also needed to not double tap, otherwise it breaks continuity. But like, and then same thing. Like he he smites Vader, splits the mask, and it takes Vader a long time to stand back up and lurch forward like a zombie. Yeah. Like like that. It's like he couldn't double tap there either. Again, because it would break continuity, but also like. Like that's Anakin was his only attachment. That was the only thing he couldn't let go. For everybody that's seen Clone Wars, uh, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't, Kenobi was able to let Satine go. You know, Kenobi was able to let all kinds of things go because that's part of detachment is allowing, like, you can love, you can have friendships, you can have deep relationships, all that kind of stuff. But what makes it an attachment is that you can't let it go. And so, like, Anakin's attachment to Padme was that he couldn't let her go. His attachment to his pride was something that he couldn't let go, that kind of thing. Right? Anakin was Kenobi's attachment. was the only one. Um, and we watch him struggle with that in the very first time they fight when Vader just, like, beats the brakes off <laughs> of him. Because, like, cause not, like, Kenobi doesn't want to win. He's, like, terrified. Right. He's like, this is, this is Anakin? Like, the, the, you were my brother. Yeah, at this point, I think he's more just surprised and weak, so I think he doesn't know how to handle the situation. Um, but I wasn't a big fan of that fight. Well, it's not really a fight, to be honest. I mean, he, he defends himself a bit, but there's nothing there. But coming back on well, the overall... Was, sorry. That was, to, that, was to, that was to say something about Kenobi. That was to show us where Kenobi was, because it was the first act of the story, yeah. right? Episode 1 and 2, Act 1. Episode 3 and 4, mm-hmm. Act 2. Episode 5 and 6, Act 3. Right, it's a you know it's a three act movie. It's just carved up into pieces. That that scene where he is fleeing from Anakin and everything else, like that is, like Kenobi has shuttered himself away. He has allowed himself to rust. He's he feels he is at fault for Anakin's turn. He felt like he was responsible for it. So when he's got to fight Vader, he doesn't he doesn't think he deserves to win. He doesn't want to win. You know, there's there's all of this stuff that is that is Vader going at him, and he doesn't really fight back. Like part of it, we can talk about the fear and the other things, but it's the guilt. Nah. Like that's you know, and we even see it in that last fight scene. There's a lot of guilt. Like he's kind of fighting Vader, but he's not. His he, his he intent fully, is different. Like when he's fighting, yeah. he's he's not there to to end it all, but is is desire and his goals still remain like pure of hearts and to ensure the safety of Luke and Leia Mm -hmm. like that's that final fight scene the first fight scene is the survival at best yeah Yeah. and it's trying to survive I guess yeah yeah and and show us the like show us the Kenobi that is where Luke is at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker yeah like it's that same like you know and, and Kenobi doesn't get to have the conversation with his master that Luke has with Yoda because I have been both people in that conversation right so we'll tie T. Rose into this is it, so Luke and Yoda sit down and Luke is like master I screwed up and Yoda's like yep <laughs> yes you it. did <laughs> I've, I've been there I watched you screwed up while I was still alive what is your point no 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 but I screwed up and I need to just get away from everybody so that I don't make things worse and it's like that's not how screwing up works dumbass <laughs> like that like that conversation right like Kenobi doesn't get to have that, but so he has to have the realization on his own. And so, like the the fight with Vader in Act One, 
that's the I screwed up I'm like all this like the feeling sorry for himself and being ashamed of himself and being guilty for what happened to Anakin and like what Anakin's done and everything else like he feels like it's on his hands and Vader absolves him of that by making it very clear that you know it was Anakin and not and not Kenobi I'm quite curious as someone who is heavily involved in martial arts and saber making what did you think of the lightsaber duels from that part of your brain like not as just like for entertainment value but from a martial point of view and the choreography etc okay so like you have to have a separate space in your brain for stage combat that's a like because it's a storytelling tool rather than a martial art because otherwise every fight with a lightsaber would be over in like seven seconds like if it was actually something that deadly like yeah Yeah. like every single saber fight would be like the the final fight between kenobi and maul in that in that animated episode where it's just like boom boom done one person makes a choice the other person makes a choice it either works out for one of you or you like the result is either one body or two bodies that's it like that's and it's one of those two ways and that's what happens and it happens so fast that nobody can really understand what's going on a fight scene needs to tell a story of one character and another character or one team and another team going through some type of process and whether it's resolving a conflict or internal conflict whatever right and so like the first fight with vader a lot of internal conflict reva's fight with vader is um, it's it's really really interesting because it's very much about her. It's not it's not about Vader. It is about her anger and her pain, um, you know, and wanting vengeance for the hurt that was caused her and all that kind of stuff. Which is very much like it's the way that Anakin fought Kenobi on Mustafar, but now Anakin's the one that wins. And then the final fight scene is probably my second favorite fight scene in Star Wars. Wow, um, big claim. Um, what's well, like, but because the, the, the choreography was really interesting. Now, like, most of the time, Vader's choreography is kind of boring. Yeah, because he's like a lumbering um, giant, and usually just yeah, does yeah, exactly. So it's swings. like heavy hits and big swings. Well, he yeah. can't in the in the suit. He can't hold the saber with both hands, um, because of the way that the cowl is constructed, the chest piece, and so like the actor can't physically hold the lightsaber with both hands because they can't and so like the suit itself is so limiting and so Vader's a lot of one hand swing and you also notice he's swinging like like his hand is normally positioned below shoulder when he moves mm-hmm. um, because he can't lift the hand very high to, to swing and so the choreography is always built around the limitations of what the actor can do so there's a lot of like zoom out zoom in zoom out zoom in um, so that like the, the red blade will do some kind of a high arc but you never, they never depict him coming from like above the head high arc because he can't do that. He's got to move his body in sort of weird ways, so they got to position the camera in weird ways. Um, but like Kenobi's, Kenobi's choreography is beautiful. Like it's beautiful. The way that he moves and the way that he changes angles and changes the saber and rotates and turns and these sorts of things. Like they did a really, really good job of letting Vader's choreography be within the limitations of what he could do with the suit but make it really interesting from Kenobi's side so he's sort of carrying the, the carrying that story um, they had to do the same thing in Empire Strikes Back with Luke's choreography like Vader's choreography is really really boring he's always kind of shot from odd angles so that you don't notice how limited his movement is 
Um, and then Luke is just doing all kinds of stuff that like keeps your attention. Also, he's the hero, so it makes it more interesting. Like you see this hero doing these like, you know, exerting this energy into trying to overcome, you know, Shogun or the devil, depending on how you want to interpret um, uh, Vader. And so that like like Kenobi's choreography was just fantastic. Um, a lot of the prequel fights, I don't love that much it's not an aesthetic that I enjoy I know a lot of people prefer them um, but it's but there's not like like the Mustafar fight is really about visual spectacle rather than common sense some of the, <laughs> yeah about well but like the some of the feeling yeah you know like it is and like you there's the pain and there's all of that kind of stuff but it was also like anytime you've got a fight scene that goes that long you just have it's like you just have so much to it that it loses some of its it loses some of its juju. I think the Revenge of the um, Sith duel, as soon as they got outside into the lava fields, that's where that duel starts to lose me. Yeah, it's because it's just a little bit too long. Yeah, like, I think that I think that duel goes for around seven minutes, if I'm not mistaken. It is it is the longest continuous sword fight in cinema history, at least at the time. Um, and it's also and, spliced between another lightsaber fight. <laughs> and they and they had to make it shorter because like they had originally filmed a bunch of stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, but it's but it's just like it's a little bit too long, and there's a lot of the choreography that gets recycled, for lack of a better word. And so it's not so like from a visual standpoint, it's it loses some of its interestingness because there's a lot of sameness to what you're seeing. Um, the the Vader fight was like a really good length for a two person fight. Um, it was visually very different. Like the if you break, you, you were talking about like storytelling stuff, right? So if you break fights down into three acts, because it's a story, mm-hmm. right? It's it should be like there's the yeah there's the like there's there's a section of the choreography where it's like now they're now they're right on top of each other and Kenobi does this movement where he rolls along Vader's back and they're striking around each other's bodies and some of these kind of things and so there's this this tight sequence that's one of the acts and there's the uh, you know we pivot off and now there's this force thing and it's like oh Kenobi's Kenobi has seized it this is where it has tipped Kenobi is going to win he smites Vader you know that all that kind of stuff and so like you watch it and you break it down like the story is really really good doesn't feel too long they don't recycle a lot of movement the the geography changes enough that it keeps your attention it's not a lot of sameness in the background. Uh, I still like the Last Jedi throne room fight scene more, um, but that just—it's like that's—that's that's the best fight scene that Star Wars has ever done. Like just like the moving pieces and other stuff. Like that was so intricate and had so many of the the symbols from the movie in it and all this stuff. Like that was a that was a big hurdle they tried to leap, and I loved it. Uh-oh. I'm also a fan of that <laughs> that sequence of the throne room with the Praetorian guards. <laughs> Also got also got a little bit more budget than the than the Kenobi fight. Just a little bit. Yeah. They had a little um, more money to spend for on. Sure. Uh, listen, gents, time is running by fast, but uh, I think that each of us, I think we, we 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 can give like one last final appreciation of the show overall. Um, outside of Lee lightsaber fighting, because I know we've been talking a lot about it, but just the show as a narrative overall. And um, yeah, things we liked, things we disliked, and maybe just to, to please you, Sean, and both you, Alan, I think we can maybe start a finish with uh, a beautiful top three of our, of our favorite lightsaber fights of the whole stories. But I think, Alan, <laughs> you pretty much gave 
give us yeah, yours. I'm, I did one. But yeah, like, but, but yeah, you can just like yeah, just do a summary, uh, another summary, just in case. And Sean and I, we can also debate on ours. I think it's a good idea. It's a little different, but uh, yeah. Um, I don't know, Alan. Final appreciation of the Kenobi show overall for for the story, the narrative, how it was made. I I really enjoyed the path that Kenobi took because getting from the end of Revenge of the Sith, where we have Kenobi as a like really kind of defeated hopeless almost kind of person to the Kenobi we see at the beginning of A New Hope who is very like um, kind of hermit-y but also like has clarity of self mm -hmm. um, and some of that kind of stuff it's like understanding how those two things got bridged and, and watching a character have to go through that because that's a really difficult like forgiving oneself is a, is a really difficult story to depict and I thought they did a marvelous job, and I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of story. Awesome, man! Good to hear. Shawnee, wanna go next? Or? Yeah, I can go next. Uh, I'll start with uh, the lightsaber duels, just because I've been I'm trying to like <laughs> all right, all right, put my head around it right there. Uh, but probably like my favorite would be uh, Empire Luke and Vader. I think there's a, a lot of narrative that's embedded into that duel between Luke thinking that he metaphorically for lack of a better term has the high grounds but he's just not ready yet but he thinks he is ready and he he's he goes in swinging essentially and vader's toying with him the whole time and but vader doesn't want to kill him at the same time so there's this interesting like give and take with that particular lightsaber fight it has a lot of story beats it's not just like an action sequence um, I'm also a big f and knowing that knowing that they had to build that choreography around the limitations of the suit and it still tells that story yeah. where it looks like Vader is toying with him rather than making it look like Vader is functionally immobile like, like kudos hats <laughs> off yeah. to the filmmaking like, like right because it's like that is that is absolutely the way that most people feel about that fight and I am right there with you and it's like and that's just like that is marvelous filmmaking yeah. that is such a tough thing to do and they did such and a it's no job. like quick cuts or shaky cam <laughs> yeah like <laughs> I hate shaky oh, God, cam I know <laughs> um, I hate shaky cam. as a second pick and it's it's so hard do I always pick like style or substance like so we'll we'll do a, a two point tie because I'll do my third one as an unconventional choice uh, I've already talked about the, the Duke Anakin fights and I don't want to reiterate it again so I do like that one quite a bit. That's probably my, my second one. Tied in third place, we probably have to duel the fates just for like the visual fun. Like I was eight years old. Best score. Best score. I was eight best years old when that score. came out. Like it's it's just a really fun duel. And then Dave Filoni like deep diving into what that how he interprets that scene mm -hmm. actually enhanced that. Was an awesome that. It was great, and that actually enhanced the that particular scene as well. I'm also a big fan of the Kylo Finn fight from Force Awakens because it was the first time we saw the Ooh. the glow of the sabers on set. And there was something about the snow and the dark forest and the way the blue and the red just sort of like pierced through the darkness. I was like, it was just a visual aesthetic we had not seen before. And I was just like, ooh, ooh. So I enjoyed that. My bonus is <laughs> a little unconventional, but... Maul versus Pre Vizsla, Clone Wars Season 5. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Because just 
wasn't expecting that duel to be that awesome. And throwing in everything from like Mando traps to just the Darksaber versus the Red Saber, Mando warrior versus former Sith Lord, very aggressive fights. Both Maul's fights are always so visually yeah. interesting because of the like and they're doing uh the both of them are basically like power lusting in that fight. They're they're both attack dogs in in that duel. Like they're they're not defending. They're they're out for blood. It's it, two tigers. Yeah, fighting. essentially. So it's something you don't often see in Star Wars. So it was visually striking. And then like I think two episodes later, you get the, the Palpatine and the Maul and Savage. So which is also really yeah so that season five was just like haha let me let me show you awesomeness so those would be my my favorite duels off the top of my head uh and as for obi-wan kenobi overall uh it was great having mcgregor back i think that's one thing that we can all agree upon it was it was like having an old friend come back to the, the screen uh he really like dove into that character and i i really liked his transition from no, I'm gonna just skulk and mind my own business and work at the local like meat processing plants to <laughs> taking up the saber once more and like sort of like rediscovering himself as you've t- talked about. And um, there's a lot of visual cues that I'm big fans of. Like I, I really love Jedi Fallen Order, so when I like, I love the visual style of like Fortress Inquisitorius. Um, the Vader fight versus Reva, where it's just using the Force to like go around her. Uh, young Leia was great. There were a few like camera things that. I- I'm not sure who was doing the cinematography and the editing that day, but it, it it does stand out as being very inconsistent with the rest of the series. From it. And weirdly slow chase. Yeah, like on the technical yeah, level. Right. Like yeah, a, on the technical level, there's a few things that just sort of pop out. Like, <laughs> the, we didn't we didn't mention, but out of pause, we're bringing up the parallels between Riva and Anakin they did at the end of Episode Six. I thought were master. When she's like, um, like, did I become him? Like, did, I'm, I'm like, well, no. like you know, chose not to. Yeah. She's she's walking out of the desert carrying Luke's unconscious body and it's like it parallels Anakin walking Which, back with his mother's yeah. corpse and like you know and and the I killed Anakin and then and watching Reva looking at Luke and seeing herself like seeing her young self so now we like, understand like Reva did have a really good art like, it's like I almost wish we had more time um, to see more like of it the, yeah yeah the the famous Anakin youngling scene from Revenge of the Sith it's like now it's like he wasn't he wasn't looking at that little boy he was looking at a young version of himself and he struck them down to become Vader yeah. like that's a you know, and then when Vader is yeah. in part three when he's trying to like goad Kenobi to come out and he starts snapping children's necks oh so good. I think this is also one of my favorite scenes. I mean, it's it's brutal. It was scene, brutal. It was, uh, it was uncomfortable. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, like the, the uh, that early Vader is a force to be reckoned yeah. with, not just. And like, they've done Vader so well over the yeah. last few years. Like the, we can always say, like there's there's always going to be people who are pointing the finger at Disney, Lucasfilm, blah blah blah. We can all agree that. They have not messed up Vader. Yeah, it was so un-Disney-like of them to actually make Vader like snap a child's neck. 
I wasn't like, expecting Mc, that. <laughs> Mc Vader, Mc Vader, a Michael Myers kind of person. I was just like, okay. Like I'm, I'm glad I'm they did. Yeah. That. <laughs> D- yeah. Didn't see it coming. Like I didn't think they would um, be that unrestrained in what they were allowed to show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense if you think about Rogue One. Like Rogue One was a World War Two movie. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I'm super pumped you know, for Andor. We can throw that out quickly, but Ender is supposed to be a World War II spy thriller directed by Tony Gilroy, who wrote the Borg movies. I'm like, yep, I'm in. I'm, in. I'm so yeah. in. And yeah. I like that Andor that is acolyte. pretty much a blank slate. So it is. They, it they is can really true. build that yes. character up, and no one's going to be like, oh, they mess with the character. <laughs> Not my Luke. Yeah, we're, we're going to have none of that, and we're actually going to be able to, like, really expand upon this character and I think that's great I think that's like the best thing to do and I'm super pumped for Andor uh, new characters Fred like new characters yeah uh, Fred your impressions of the show and your lightsaber duels <laughs> alright closing argument for me um, I really you know what I really enjoyed it overall I think I was really glad that episode 5 and 6 exist because before them I thought the pace of the show was a little off. Uh, I was like, it, they took too much time to get into, um, I guess, the character arcs themselves. So I think there's a lot of filler, especially in episode three and four. Um, but overall, I think it really delivered. And I was glad to see the characters back. Ewan McGregor, I think, is a fine actor. And I can totally believe that he becomes Alec Guinness in 10 years because just the way he moves, the way he talks, the way he looks at things, he answers, I'm like, this is Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. Jesus, that's him. So I, I think that, that. It's an, act, an actor's job is to impersonate, and I think he did a fine job. He, I mean, I'm sure he knows Alex Guinness portrayal of Obi-Wan like, in his mind so much, he's studied it so many times, and he really incorporated it in, in his Obi-Wan, so I really liked his gradual, I mean, like his point A to point B to become that, like, from a coward who's somebody totally detached and depressed, he doesn't know where he belongs in the world, to, like, a more wiser person who's eager to learn, but is, um, he's a kind and hopeful figure, so I, I, I totally believe that, and it makes sense. Uh, the young actors, Luke and Leia, they were great, especially Leia, Luke didn't have that much to do. Uh, firstly, maybe another time. Um, and I like how they use uh, Brew, uh, uh, Larson Brew. Like, I mean, uh, sorry, Owen and Brew. I think they were really badass to defend their territory, like farmers. I don't know, like in a in a war or something, or being invaded. Like, no, like Western. I really liked it. Yeah, no, I really liked I it. New, uh, I have a head cannon. I don't remember where I saw the meme, but like the the end in in A New Hope when Luke sees the. You know, Luke sees the bodies and everything else. So, Owen and Baru fought off an entire battalion, and they had to call in a bomber. <laughs> they drove off. They they drove off an entire battalion, and they were just like, "No, we need air support. Light them up." Yeah, I saw something similar. I think that just like they they sacrificed themselves with like a huge napalm explosion on the, on the stormtroopers. Yeah, but I like their characters. I think they were they, they made sense. I like that even though Owen doesn't like Obi Wan, he still has respect for him at the end. It's like you want to meet him, go for it. Yeah, you can meet him. So nice little touch. Uh, but yeah, the show I think took 
a little too much time arriving where we wanted it to be, but the end result and the delivery at the very end was was awesome. So overall, I was really satisfied. They can leave it as is, no, not do a season two. I would be okay with it. If they do a season two, again, just being careful not to destroy so much of the continuity and the, the canon because they, they played a little bit with it, but they were lucky enough not to, I think, overstep on anything. And a lot of Allegenesis' line in The New Hope and even in the, the, the other films about a certain point of view and saying that actually, you know, like Vader killed Luke's mm-hmm. father. It was like, okay, interesting. It makes sense. I like where you're going with this, but... If they do a season two, I would very much just like it to be a prequel era Clones Wars arc, and then it's cross cut between (laughs) heavy, heavy on the flashback, almost like entirely flashback, maybe like eighty percent flashback, and then those twenty percent will sort of be like uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and those are sort of like the framing devices, and then they're like they'll just go back and we'll have something with Hayden and. The relationship between Kenobi and Hayden will sort of be like a parallel to Qui Gon and Obi Wan. Yeah. And then let me just let me toss something out because now we've had several Star Wars shows where people's feedback at the beginning of the six episode arc has been that it feels kind of slow or the pacing seems kind of weird or whatever. So like, if you're if you're consuming the the show like it's a traditional episodic show rather than a movie that's chunked up into chapters then it's gonna feel off because they're pacing it like a movie mm. and so like if you've experienced that especially the first three or four episodes tend to feel like it's like i don't you know like this just feels like it's paced kind of weird it feels like not a lot happened this feels kind of slow all that kind of stuff wait until there's like wait until they're on what episode five and then binge it um because then because the, then the story is going to feel more like you know what you're sort of expecting if you're if you're wanting it to dive into action early like because we got a little bit spoiled by mando because mando was monster of the week yeah so it was able like it 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 was able to do that while doing its three-act arc with a lot of action sequences leading up because the nature of the character with 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 ahsoka we may not get that you know with andor we probably will and there's gonna be 12 episodes yeah. yeah, and that's you know. Thank so God, though. I mean, six was a little yeah. short. It's gonna be twelve. So. Yeah, that's. And six. they're not filming. In... Six is a movie. Yeah, like, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's yeah, you know. It's a movie. And there's also not filming in the volume, which is interesting. They're actually on yeah. location and traditional sets. So, already the trailer was like, oh, this this feels a little different already. So, I don't. Know. I'm super. Feels more like it's I'm everything. I'm super pumped for Andor. <laughs> um, when Andor's done, you can come back on the show. We can talk Andor as well. If yeah, hundred percent. We can. Awesome. That would be awesome. Awesome. Super down for that because um, I think I might be more pumped for Andor than I was for Kenobi. Acolyte is still the thing I'm most excited about. It's been the thing I've been most excited about since they announced it. I'm the most intrigued about Acolyte, but I, I'm because we so know so very little. I'm like. It's. I'm. I am envisioning noir detective thriller set in Star Wars, and I'm there. Yeah. I am. There. I also just want a show that explores like the Sith. <laughs> well, in the High Republic is a really cool. Oh, era. I know. I've I been reading it. it. You've gotten a chance to read. Like, I, I, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've oh, been doing the. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to. I've been doing a lot of the press for the High Republic books, so I've uh, got them early. So I've been, I've read just about comics. all of them now. I've not read the comics though. Yeah. Um, before I do my lightsaber, uh, I mean my top three lightsaber duels. I'm just wondering yeah. the skeleton crew with Jude Law. What do you think it's about? Where, like which like time period? What kind of? It's the same time as Mando. Characters. Same time as Mando. Yeah. Okay. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna knit into that story, but like, it'll be you know space western because that's everything that's been that timeline. That's basically what we're looking at is space mm. western. They've also space compared western. it to Stranger Things a little bit with like kids and horror. And if was a Felonia, Felonia or Favreau, I think it was Felony, when asked, "Is this going to be a kid show?" His reply was, "Do you think the Clone Wars is a kid show?" That's your answer. So, kids can watch it, but also there's going to be some moments where we're going to be like, "Is this really for kids?" Question mark. Question mark. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Survival horror. Yeah. I mean, it might get to be Monster of the Week, which would be pretty cool. But like, I'm I'm picturing something like Aliens, where they're they're on a planet and they just need to like get the ship back up and running again, and then there's something that's going to go bump in the night. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for something that is Firefly-esque, like ensemble, you know, more than just the four humorous characters, some interesting twists, some complex background that we discover throughout the telling of the story, mm -hmm. you know, like just sort of jump into the middle and we got to figure everybody out on the fly, which Star Wars fans have not been tremendously patient for recently. <laughs> like having to, having to figure people out on the fly is not something that they have wanted. Yeah, that's true, that's true though. But, uh, Why is she so powerful? Just yeah. want to find out. Please, she's, a Mary, just wait. she's a Mary Sue. Yeah. No. Simba, um, we'll get answers eventually. Sean, to be honest, you, you stole—I think you stole some of my thunder for the lightsaber duels because I think Not I do, do have the exact, the exact <laughs> list as you did. You do, to be honest, because I at first, and I think I, I, I um, like Alan persuaded me, but I wasn't going—I was going to put the Mustafar fight in it, but I decided not to. Because I do understand that it's a visual spectacle overall, even if I really like it. Um, if you like it, then it's in your top three, and there's no reason to be ashamed of that. I hate when people are like, <laughs> okay, well, okay. but this was just fan service. You can still like it. I like, still, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I still like it. I'm going to put it at number four. It's going to be the Mustafar scene. Uh, the Mustafar fight. Um, <laughs> so the, the number one, yeah, Empire Strikes Back, because, again, I like that it's, like you said, I think it's Vader teaching Luke how to fight, basically, because he doesn't want to kill him. <laughs> and he starts, like, proud and, like, just super confident in his capacities. And as minutes fly by, he's just wet, he's bruised, he's just like, no, I'm losing control here. He's lost all fate, and he's, he's just clumsy in how he, he tries to fight Vader, and I think that's really well made from a character perspective. Um, number two, yeah, Duel of Fates, and especially, especially like uh, the Obi-Wan versus Maul ones after Qui-Gon is stabbed, and you can sense that Obi-Wan is so mad that he taps a little bit in the dark side to fight Maul, and I think that's how he defeats him. Um, I think that's really good. That's really powerful choreography. Like when he comes out, like of the of the shield doors. Yeah, there's like 15 seconds. Full frontal dark Maul. I was like, oh, that's great. That that's that little snippet. I think it's one of the like some of the best lightsaber duels in all of Star Wars. So I really like Duel of Fates, Episode One. And yeah, surprisingly, man, uh, Force Awakens 
the light, I mean, everything, how the, the, the mise-en-scene of the ambience of it in the snow, the, the, the colors, the bright colors of the lightsabers, and how, like, the strike, they feel so heavy on people who actually can't really know how to handle it, like Finn character is, but he's still, tr he's still able to, like, resist, uh, but clumsily, and then Ray comes in and more, it's more fluid, but no, I think I, I really like the choreography and the whole setting of that scene of that fight so the force awakens i think is yeah my number three and yeah i can put it put this far there's a lot of character emotion in that one like there's it's just there's so many like there's so many big feelings from so many traitor it's a it's yeah like it's that is such a cool fight adam driver's Under energy is great as Kylo. Oh, yeah. when he fights i think even in episode eight maybe less so episode nine but episode seven i mean it's great presence when he's fighting yeah, when he's like yeah. beats his wound just to like uh, tap into the pain under underappreciated because this is probably my number three and i'm torn here because on one hand like the ahsoka mall fight in season seven of clone wars is masterful mm -hmm. um, but like for the most part i have i have not enjoyed and this is just across jj abrams movies in general i have not enjoyed the way that he normally films melee combat and so in the rise of skywalker the fight between kylo and ray not the not the fight where she kills him the the force time fight uh -huh. where they're back and forth between the ground and the ship because the way that the scenery changes and the way that the choreography incorporates the scene change like that to me was like oh snap oh snap like this is a this is a tool that jj has never had in a fight scene and this unlocks something for him um, because that is that is still like the way that they twist in that choreography for me is it's just like that's special that was mm -hmm. that was special and the emotion and it is so cool and the movements are really interesting like um, and it's a it's a not frequently referenced fight because there's some people that no really it's don't true like, yeah like, it's we don't reference that scene that much to be honest because a lot of people hate episode nine um, I don't hate it but I'm not. I never really think about that. Scene, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. I do like how the camera like shifts from an environment to environment, and it's it's like a carousel in some way. And it's it's yeah. It's 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 pretty well filmed. I do, I do agree with you on, on there. All right, gents. It's been an hour and seventeen minutes. Yes. Time flew by so quickly, but we yeah. got we we, we got through it. I learned <laughs> a lot of things, bit. man. Thanks, we'll Alan, for being on board. I, no, but it's it's, it's yeah. awesome. That's what we want from our guests. Um, I think Sean and I learned a bunch about the spirits industry, just fight like mm -hmm. sword fighting overall. Uh, filmmaking, I get yeah. film appreciation and filmmaking, especially for those films. So thank you, brother. Yeah. That was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So just before we head out again, you want to like re put out uh, where people can find you, socials, etc., websites, and and so the the site is levelupsabers.com. And so anybody that has known me for a while, that shift happened just a couple of months ago, actually. Um, I am Level Up Light and then the number one on TikTok. And I am Level Up Light on Instagram. Um, and Level Up Lightsaber is still on Facebook. I'm working on getting that changed. That's a, a whole story right there. Um, but that is, that is where you can find me. Most people will recognize me from TikTok and the Better Than a Stick videos. Um, I'm trying to get good about using TikTok or uh, Instagram. I'm trying to get good about using Twitter, but Star Wars Twitter is a whole thing, and <laughs> it's, it's just not someplace I want to be very often. Um, but yeah, that's that is that is where to find me. And um, 
these guys will tell you the best way to find one of my sabers. We shall. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop a line for you in the, in the episode. A little link in the description. <laughs> in the description below. All right, gentlemen, it was such a pleasure having you on board. We'll do this another time for another other Star Wars content. Um, thanks so much, Alan. I'm glad to have you here. Sean, always a pleasure, brother. Toujours. And uh, you, toujours. Let's keep drinking. Let's keep fighting, I guess. <laughs> Sword fighting. <laughs> Come on. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, have a good one, guys. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.